We have some more coaching hires to report, and we've got a lot of drama in the Stanley Cup Finals, which is now headed to Game 6. We'll brief you on that. But first, we're going to talk about some major NHL award winners. Episode 326 of the Lace Up Podcast starts right now. It's time to lace them up. Here's Brett and Steve. And welcome to the show, ladies and gentlemen. I'm Steve Ellsworth. I'm Brett Dubuff. We are going to lead the show off, uh, Brett, with a recap of the big-time NHL awards. Uh, where do you want to start first? Yeah, I guess we could start with the biggest one, uh, the Hart Trophy. Yeah, go with the big one. Why not? Get yeah. the band-aid out of the way. Exactly. We have a few of them. Um, like, uh, So, for the record, a couple of these awards have already been announced. We even mentioned one of them uh when it happened uh the selkie went to uh bergeron um i think shocker daryl yeah exactly daryl sutter won the jack adams i think that was announced earlier we're about to we're going to talk about that pretty soon but i think that was announced mm-hmm. before this um and carrie price won the masterton i believe we mentioned that as well um so there was yeah. there was a few awards that happened before this night um last week but or you know this week but um but yeah, all the big ones were, were here today. What's funny, though, is the general manager of the year award still hasn't been announced. Um, yeah, I was about to say, who won that? Because I never heard a peep out of that Yeah, one. well, it's the weirdest award still because it's like they vote on it after the conference finals. But they're not even... I, I think it's like to the point where they're going to announce it after the Stanley Cup finals. So I thought they like, just removed it. It was just yeah, like, yeah, yeah. I mean, whatever. Well, it, I mean, it would be okay, like, if they did it where it's like, they did it, like, because it's really essential. Like, of course, the team that wins the Stanley Cup's going to win <laughs> the general manager of the year award. So it's just like a, a like a stupid uh, award anyways. Um, but, because uh, it's, but I think it was like, so Sackick, um, Priesbaugh, and I believe it was Drury. Um, so I guess um, the Glenn Sather, or uh, sorry, Holt Holland got the uh, wrong end of the stick there. But um, but yeah, it's kind of, uh, I, I don't understand that award at all, or it's, it's just really redundant. But anyways, um, but I guess you could say the same for like the Jack Adams too, because it's now been awarded to like the team that made the most improvement and not the actual best coach not to mention like the last like couple of coaches Cassidy Trotz um Tortorella um have all been fired from their teams in like the next year or so so it's like it's it's like you know you can make the same case for a lot of these or like if the Norris Trophy was truly to the best defenseman it should be going to like someone like Jacob Slavin, who um, is phenomenal shutdown defense, who's not there yet on offensive side of things. So it's like, you know, like you can make the case for a lot of these things. Or like the Hart Trophy should go to uh, Connor McDavid because he is the best player. But um, but instead, uh, to not spoil the lead, but um, Austin Matthews. He, uh, he wins this hard trophy. 
Um, I think this is, a, this is a good choice. I had kind of forgotten about it. But uh, yeah, when you, when you get uh, 60 goals um, in a season like this, um, when that hasn't been done in like a decade, like two decades, um, yeah, I think, I think that means that it's worth it uh, for Austin Matthews to do it. Um, um, Connor McDavid gets uh, a f second place votes here. Um, and then third place was Igor Shosturkin. Um, yeah, I mean, I like I, I think there was some buzz towards the end of the year of getting Shosturkin the Hart Trophy since he had been kind of like willing the Rangers to the playoffs and all that stuff, and he was unbelievable too. Um, but yeah, I, I, I don't think... Um, I, I think Austin Matthews had a, like an unbelievable season, and he, he just... Um, so he, he, it's well-deserved. Um, I wonder, do you... I, I'm going to look this when, you, when you're talking, but I... I wonder, or unless maybe you know, but um, is the this must be the first time, um, or not like the first time since Patrick Kane won the Hart Trophy for a U.S.-born player to get a Hart Trophy. Um, I'm not sure, but I'll I'll take a I'll take a re research while you talk <laughs> about this. Yeah. I that would probably be my guess is Patrick Kane because yeah. uh, Patrick Kane has had some MVP candidate worthy campaigns himself. Uh, in terms of 60 goal scorers, I think in the past 30 or so years, there have been five or six, including Matthews now. Um, what's interesting is that only 16 of those 60 goals were power play goals, which means he had 44 even strength goals. Uh, 10 of those goals were game winners, two of them in overtime. And he took 348 shots uh, across uh, the 73 games that he played for a shooting percentage of 17.2%. And it's crazy when you consider all of the weapons on that Toronto squad. He only got 16 power play goals, and yet he still got 60 goals. The mind-boggling stat to me is the 60 goals in the 73 games that he played. Because there's the suspension he had for the Rasmus Dahlin hit. I think it was in that outdoor game against right. Buffalo. I don't know if you remember that. Um, there was also time early on in the season where he was a little bit banged up. And, and the fact that he still scored 60 goals, while maybe not at 100% the full way through, just kind of shows um, the evolution of his goal-scoring capabilities. And the fact that Austin Matthews... As we're talking about him right now, he's only 24 years old, and he's going to be 25 in September. So the fact that he had such an impressive campaign and he's not really hit his prime, um, if you're a Leafs fan, you're definitely salivating at that. And even in the playoffs with nine points in seven games, imagine what he could have done if the Leafs hit the second round. He, he, we, we could be looking at him as a – as a potential con Smythe candidate, honestly, yeah. if, if the Leafs went on a deep run. I fully believe that Matthews would be leading the way and he'd be right there at the top of the leaderboard and, and points for the playoffs. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, so yeah, I was right that Patrick Kane was the last U.S.-born player to win the Hart Trophy um, in the 2015-2016 season. Uh, that's when he won it. Um, and also, I do want to give mm -hmm. a slight correction here. I said that uh, 16 goal, 60 goals hasn't been done in two decades. That is not true because the last time that has happened was Alex Ovechkin, who won the Hart Trophy with 
um, in uh, 2007, 2008 uh, with uh, 65 goals. So, um, so yeah, that, that has happened before. Um, or that hasn't been, that's not two decades. Um, almost. By the close, way, but. By the way, another another thing that you should keep in mind for Austin Matthews is the fact that he took 1,229 face-offs. Yeah. That ranks 26 in the league, and he won over 56% of his draws. Wow, that's crazy. Um, and then uh, in terms of other votes, uh, yeah, yeah, he's he's been pretty good on the face-off dot too. So, um, yeah, it's not just like offense and stuff like that. So that, that's cool. Um in terms of other votes that uh, got stuff, um, or like players that got votes, uh, Johnny Goudreau came in fourth. Um, that makes sense. Um, he had a career year this year. Uh, Jonathan Huberdeau got five. Uh, got in fifth. Um, what's interesting here, and we're about to talk about it in a little bit, but Robin Yossi ended up getting more votes than Kale McCarr on the Hart Trophy. But Kale McCarr ended up winning the Norris. Um, so um, I don't know how that works. I, I guess you can make a case that, like, Roman Yossi means more to the team than to Nashville than Kale McCarr means to Colorado. But then if that's the case, then why did Kale McCarr win the Norris? Um, but, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about that when, um, when we mention it later. Um, Kirill Kaprizov. Um, got in seventh, um, and then Makar, as I mentioned, got eighth. Drysital, Ovechkin, Stamkos, Barkov, um, and then you have um, Jason Robertson. Um, he got a couple of fifth place votes, which is uh, nice to see. He's he's really good, um, but like it's nice. It's at least it's cool to see him get some recognition, um, even if it is fifth place votes. Um, and then JT Miller and Matthew Kachuk each got one first, fifth place vote. Um, so that's, that's also kind of interesting too. But, um, yeah, um, I don't know. Anything else that you want to mention on this heart voting situation? The one thing that I will say is watch out for Kirill Kaprizov. And I feel like that's kind of redundant to say because yeah, no, no kidding. Watch out for me. One rookie of the year last year. Um, but uh, he was top 10 in MVP voting this year. And while it's going to be awfully tough for him to win the MVP when you have Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisel being regulars in the mix, and uh, I think guys like Kale McCarr probably getting votes consistently, Austin Matthews getting votes consistently and being an MVP threat now, it wouldn't shock me within at least the next year or two if Kaprizov is at least nominated for the Hart Trophy. Yeah. Um, just what he did, what he's done with that offense in Minnesota and the numbers that he put up still without an established uh, top-line center, a legit top-line center there, um, I, I, I think is really astounding to me. And it shows the talent that, that and, and the high ceiling that this guy has. Like, I don't think he's scratched the surface of what he can become in this league. Right, right. Um... All right, let's let's talk because I didn't mention it. Let's talk about the Norris Trophy. This was also the most like contested one because you could really make a good case for either Kale McCarr yeah. or Roman Yossi, um, and in fact, it was so close uh, that Kale McCarr ended up with a thousand six hundred and thirty-one points. Um, Roman Yossi had 
1,606 points. Um, and Yossi had more first place votes than Kale McCarr did. However, um, like uh, in terms of second place votes, McCarr, I guess this is how McCarr ended up winning. McCarr had 98 second place votes and Yossi had 76 second place votes. Um, and then uh, Yossi had 17 third place votes and three fourth place votes. Uh, no one uh, voted him fifth. Um, and then Makar just had five third place votes. He had no votes in the fourth or fifth range either. Um, it, it should also be noted there was one vote that didn't have Yossi yeah. in first, second, third, fourth, or fifth, yeah, which is crazy. astounding to me that yeah. someone who had the most points by defenseman in nearly 30 years right. was just like, Hey, it's not good enough on my ballot. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. This is um, this is an interesting debate because, like, I I kind of I can see why Makar gets it because it's like, um, like I I was hearing uh, from Jeff Merrick um, who on his podcast and he was saying how, yeah, he um, he didn't have I I think he might have been the one to not have Yossi on his ballot. Um, because he was saying how, oh no, 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 what he, he had Charlie McAvoy ahead of Yossi and he was yeah, saying, who by the way was fourth, good yeah. job by your Bruin, by yeah, the yeah. way. Yeah, I was, I was going to get through that, but, um, but yeah, I, I think he, he was saying how Yossi isn't, doesn't take the, like the deal breaker for him was that Yossi doesn't get the, um, the defensive um, stuff that uh, that actually goes to Matthias Ekholm, whereas compared to like Makar, McAvoy, Hedman, um, Adam Fox, any of these guys, they are like on the ice a lot, and uh, they they can be relied upon defensively as well, which is kind of a silly argument when you think about it, because like when we talked about like if I remember correctly a, a long time ago when Eric Carlson won it. Uh, sorry, Steve, to, to mention that was a long time ago, but uh, I remember that was like the whole thing of like you know Eric Carl when he won it, Eric Carlson had like yeah he he wasn't great defensively, but you know like the offensive numbers should stand out. Um, he also had the second most blocked shots yeah. in the league, by the way. Yeah, I guess that's that's a fair point, but um, but yeah, I don't know. I, I but like I can see that argument where it's like if you're not like you know if you if you're not even like relied upon to be the guy defensively as well then can you really say that you're a Norris Trophy winner whereas like Kale McCarr is is that um then then it's like okay so there's like a tougher like you know a tougher route for Kale McCarr compared to Yossi but to, yeah. count, to counter that uh, point of view, Devin Taves also got uh, Norris votes, I believe. Yeah, and uh, while right. he also put up good numbers, I feel like he's more prone to get those defensive minutes well, more than McCarthy. Yeah. Well, yeah. No, I, yeah. I mean, I, I mean, I, I think the thing is, is like, so it really just comes down to the fact that, like, okay, uh, would you, what's more impressive, getting 96 points as a defenseman? Are getting 28 goals as a defenseman. Um, yeah. And I, I would say that getting 28 goals is more impressive just because, one, scoring goals is probably the hardest thing you can do. I mean, 
um, as a skater, I guess, like, it's a little different than, uh, than being a goaltender, but, like, it is the hardest thing you can do. Um, and then, um, yeah, and uh, so I, I can take that point. But, yeah, at the same time, it's like, you know, Roman Yossi had an incredible season, something that we probably will never see um, again. Um, or, I mean, we won't, see, like, you know, it's once in a blue moon type of thing. So, um, yeah, it is kind of ridiculous. But, and not to mention the fact that, like, he got more Hart Trophy votes than Kale McCarr did. It reminds me of uh, when we talked about the Hobie Baker stuff where, like, Levi ended up winning the um, the Mike Richter Award, but uh, Dryden McKay ended up winning the Hobie Baker, which was the whole thing. <laughs> but, um, so, so yeah, I, I don't know if I necessarily... I, I, I like, yeah, I, I kind of can see both sides to it. Um... Like Steve, so uh, Victor Hedman got uh, landed in third. Um, Charlie McAvoy got fourth. Uh, Adam Fox got fifth. Um, and then I'll just read through this list and then I'll give it to you. Um, then we have uh, Aaron Eckblad, Chris Letang, Devin Taze, as you mentioned, uh, Jacob Slavin, as I mentioned, uh, John Carlson, Mar Morgan Riley, Miro Heiskanen, Quinn Hughes. Mackenzie Weger. Um, now we're getting into like all the uh, like the one fifth place votes here. Uh, Justin Falk, Alex Petrangelo, Jared Spurgeon, and uh, Chris Tanev. Um, yeah. Wait. How did wait? Now <laughs> Chris Tanev. What? <laughs> okay. You're 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 about you're about to see why I'm chuckling. How did Thomas Shabbat not get any votes yet? Chris. Yeah, Chris Tanev is somehow in there. Yeah. Don't, uh, don't get me wrong, I love Chris Tanev, yeah. but Thomas Shabbat has been a minutes eater for the past couple of years. Right. And a fifth place vote went to Tanev over Shabbat because why? Oh, I, 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 mean, I I'm intrigued to know. Yeah, Mackenzie Weger is another one that's kind of strange. Um, yeah, that one I can kind of buy, though. You only had one fourth place vote and one fifth place vote. Yeah, but yeah, now that you bring it up, I guess Thomas Shabbat should be on this list, too. But Yeah, um, but yeah even I if it's a mean. fifth place vote, I would have put Shabbat on there over Tanev. Yeah, we'll but see. To, 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 you know what, Chris Tanev's credit, guys like Zadorov and Gabranson and Tanev, all of them had great yeah. years in Calgary, so I can kind of see why. Yeah. But it'd probably be like a local writer that put in Tanev, because I don't think he would be on that global spectrum of like, yeah, he's a Norris Trophy candidate. Yeah, yeah. No, no, no that's a good point. Anyway, um, do you have anything, any other notes before we move on? Uh... I'd like to I, one of these years. I hope Charlie McAvoy is at least a, a top three candidate. Yeah. I know you were kind of disappointed when you saw the ballot and he wasn't wasn't in the top three. But as as you look there, he wasn't top three, but he was darn close. No, no. Even though yeah. uh, in terms of the point spread, he kind of wasn't. No, no, he had he a great yeah, he had a great season, and I I think he will win a Norris one day. Um, but yeah, I, I, I can totally get why, like, you know, it's, it's tough to argue that he's better than Makar, Yossi, or Hedman, so I, I totally I, I felt that Yossi was more deserving to win than Makar, not, not because Makar didn't have a good season and he yep. didn't contribute to his team, team success, because he totally did, but... You look at all of the, and you look at all of the guys that had career years in Nashville, like 
Mikhail Granlund, bounce back year. Matt Duchesne, bounce back year. Philip Forsberg, career season. I think a lot of that had to do with the likes of UC Saros and Roman Yossi being just stalwarts at their position. Yeah. I think that allowed for those career years to happen, and I would have liked to see Roman get rewarded for it, but he can't win them all. Yeah, that's fair. Um, and um, I didn't even realize this, but yeah. So I'm, I'm. By the way, I guess a little behind the scenes here on our on our recording right now. Um, I am looking at this Sportsnet uh, article that has all the votes and it goes down the list of all the awards. But um, Arthur right. Matthews ended up winning the Ted Lindsay Award, which is the award yeah. that's uh, voted on by the players. Um, mm-hmm. And um, you, you may, if you don't already know, Steve, I want you to guess who, who do you think are the two finalists? I'm sure you can guess <laughs> one of them. I know where the other two finalists are. They're Connor McDavid yeah. and Roman Yossi. Yeah. Roman Yossi wasn't uh, an MVP Hart Trophy candidate in the top three, but for the player's choice, he was in the top three. Yeah, I mean, that's nice, at least. But, yeah, I mean... I, yeah, I, I think the players thought you were good enough. Yeah, yeah. I just the know. media didn't. But, like, even I still... Think Yossi, like, you said Yossi was six in the hard voting, so he wasn't in the top five for that anyway. Oh, yeah, yeah, I know. But it's it's just so uh, yeah it, it is it is a little strange now that I'm like looking at the actual votes it's just like what <laughs> how, how did this happen um, yeah it's, it makes for good debate like remember yeah. that one time Tristan Cherry was named MVP yeah or not named MVP but like he got like a fifth place vote for MVP right well I think what's what's more strange and yeah the the fact that Yossi had more heart votes than uh, Makar is strange but it's also strange. That Yossi had more first place votes than Makar did on the actual award. <laughs> and third and fourth, yet yeah. he still lost. Yeah, it's crazy. Um, yep. All right, now we go to uh, the Calder Trophy here. Uh, Moritz Seider wins. Um, he actually, this was actually surprising because I thought it would be a close race between Seider yeah. and Zegers. I'm, surpri- I'm not surprised he won. I'm surprised yeah. how close it wasn't. Same, same. Uh, so Cider uh, had a hundred and uh, sorry, a thousand eight hundred and fifty-three points. Zegers had a thousand one hundred and ninety-one points. Cider uh, had one seventy first place votes. That's crazy. Zegers ended up with fifteen first place votes um, and a hundred second place votes. Um, I I think what ended up being the thing. I mean, I, I thought it would be Seagrass, but I had a scent, like, towards the end of the season. I can kind of see why it was uh, Cider. Um, I I think the, the reason is, is that Cider was the power play guy. Um, you know, he, he basically was a pro, um, you know, like, from the beginning. Whereas Seagrass, it took a little while for Seagrass to actually get going. Um, and also, not to mention the fact that, like, he wasn't the like he wasn't the first line center um or he like you he wasn't deployed like that so um so i i, I think i i totally get why Mort cider um was uh ended up winning the calder trophy even though i'm kind of biased because i i loved trevor segris but um but it, it's it's whatever um yeah before i go on to the next the, all the other guys who got some votes uh what do you have like do you have anything on this so 
Typically, when I look at big name awards like this, I typically look at, okay, do I look at this team differently because of this player? And for Trevor Zegers and his case of how the Anaheim Ducks look in my eyes, the answer is yes. I look at the Anaheim Ducks differently with this Trevor Zegers. As we all know, Brett, heading into this year, I had zero expectations for Anaheim. I thought they were going to get trampled on every single game and it was going to be a rough year for them. Especially when you consider the little improving to the roster that they did the previous offseason. And Trevor's Egress, as the season went on, proved me wrong. Uh, you look at what Sonny Milano did, you saw the potential of a Sam Steele in the mix, but Sonny Milano and Troy Terry all blossomed. And Trevor Egress was doing creative things on the ice that made Dana and Ducks a really fun hockey team to watch. And he was just obviously a spinorama goals aside, those um, fancy Michigan footwork behind the net, that Michigan assist that he pulled off against Buffalo, were prime examples of that, where it's just like, hey, come out and check out the Anaheim Ducks. Like, seriously, they might not be a good team, but, like, they're on the up and up, and they could be a lot better sooner than people think. So for that reason, I was tempted to put Trevor Segris there, and I thought it was going to be a close race, and he was going to be my front-runner candidate. However, when you look at Moritz Sider's numbers, I stood there and I'm just thinking, I can see a world why, Nor- why Moritz Sider would be yep. a willing uh, winner uh, for this award. Uh, you look at the numbers across the board, 50 points in 82 games, 43 of those being assists. For a rookie is pretty good. For a rookie defenseman is kind of crazy. Yep. Also, you look at Detroit's goals against and compared to the goals for, like, it's not nearly as bad as it was, say, in 2019-20 when it was, like, miles and miles deep in crap. But you look at their goal differential, it's still noticeably in the double digits. Like, we're talking at least minus 30, maybe below that. Yeah. Mord Sider, as a rookie, was only a minus eight, which I consider pretty impressive. Yep. On top of that, here are the rest of the numbers that he put up. 187 shots on goal. Again, for a rookie defenseman, pretty good. 151 hits for a rookie defenseman, very good. 161 blocks, very good for a rookie defenseman. He has uh, two. Uh, he has two. Uh, 21 power play points and two shorthanded points. Yep. Uh, on the power play, he averaged close to three minutes of ice time per game. Uh, pretty good. And then overall, in all situations, 23.02 was his time on ice per game. Yep. And again, let me remind people, the reason that Detroit brought in Nick Letty in the previous offseason was to stabilize the defensive core and maybe make it so guys like Moritz Sider didn't have to get thrown to the Wolves too soon. And yet that's still exactly what happened, and he performed very, very well, all things considered. Yeah. So while I am shocked that the amount of first-place, second-place vote gap was as large, that part stunned me. The fact that Moritz Sider won the Calder over Zegers, not really. I don't think that surprised me at all. Yeah, I mean, yeah, exactly. I kind of had the same thought process as you. Um, and yeah, just for reference, um, I mean, I guess usually defensemen get more ice time than, uh, forwards do anyways, but, uh, for reference, 
Uh, so, yeah, you mentioned how Cider had 23 minutes of ice time on average this year. Uh, Seagrass had 17 minutes and 54 seconds of uh, average ice time. So, um, yeah, that's like, you know, I mean, so that that's basically what you need to know there. Um, and, it, like, you know, as you were saying, like, yeah, the Ducks were very impressive and, like, they they kind of had, like, that Kaprizov type thing to it where you replace, um, you know, Kaprizov all the while and you replace him with, uh, with Zegris and it's like, okay, this is now a fun team to watch when before they weren't that fun to watch. But you can make the same case about Detroit. Um, I mean, they still, like, you know, Detroit, like, that's the other crazy thing, too, is, like, uh, Cider, like, Detroit uh, was terrible defensively all year. Um, they kept on giving up goals and all this stuff. And the fact that, as you're mentioning, that he had even had, like, a minus nine during this time and the fact that, like, um, he still put up decent defensive numbers even when Detroit's defense is, in general, is terrible um, that's just really impressive for, for a, uh, a rookie, um, a 21 year old, but yeah. So, so yeah, I like, you know, as much as I love Zegris, I can, it's hard to really get mad at the fact that Moritz Sider, uh, gets this, gets this award. Um, in terms of other rookies who ended up or the, you know, the Calder trophy voting here, uh, Michael Bunting, uh, famous rookie, uh, <laughs> gets, Third, some third place uh, gets in third place here. Uh, Lucas Raymond, um, who I guess, I mean that is a little bit surprising because he would he did have a really hot start, but I guess he sort of trailed off towards the end there. Um, he gets uh, he gets in fourth. Jeremy Swayman, my 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 guy, um, my actual guy, not not Seagus. Um, he gets some fifth place votes. I would imagine. Um, what was interesting is I saw that Ty Anderson, who is a Bruins beat writer, um, he, he mentioned that he didn't even have Swayman on his ballot. Um, and that was purely because like Swayman kind of faded towards the end of the season. Um, so I would imagine like, you know, if a Bruins beat writer is doing that, then I imagine a lot of guys who don't follow the Bruins every day are doing that too. Um, so um, I totally get why he, he wasn't even in the top three. Um, but yeah, I'm just I'm just glad that he got some votes. Um, he also ended up getting the um, the all rookie making the all rookie team, which is uh, which is fun. So I um, I will I will take that even though it's like he was really just battling uh, Alex Ndelkovich. Um, but yeah, I yeah, mean, for sure. I'm and 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 as for Michael Bunting being yeah. third on that list. I think that's a good spot to put him. Yeah. Because, like, don't get me wrong, Michael Bunting had a good year and he did his bit, but he wasn't in charge of, like, controlling his own line and being asked to be a difference maker. Yeah. He was just asked to do his job and he did it very well. But, like, going above and beyond doing your job is Mord Sider being asked to lead the Red Wings blue line in his first year or Trevor Zegers being asked to, like, make this team fun again. Right, right. right. It, it, it's not nearly uh, it's not nearly the same thing as what Michael Bunting had to do in Toronto. He had to do his part and keep up with his linemates, which he did a good job of. But he wasn't asked to just like, hey, uh, this whole line leans on your success right now. You need to carry this line. Yeah, yeah, no, that's a good point. Um, 
Okay. Um, then you have uh, Anton Lindell, uh, well-deserved. He, like, he was a part of that, that center line, um, the third line for Florida, um, that, um, that ended up you know, being like the X factor for the Panthers. Um, and, uh, of course, not in the playoffs, but uh, you know, with uh, Reinhardt and um, Marchman. Um, so, so that that makes sense that he's there. He was also injured for some of it, so I wonder if like if he was healthy, how many more votes he would get. Um, but uh, yeah, so that, that that's well deserved there. Tanner Janot, kind of surprising, but um, not really at the same time. If you had been paying attention, um, I think we mentioned this throughout the year. Um, but like Tanner Janot, I think he let ended up leading the league in hits, um, but he can also score the puck too. Um, can also score as well so he's going to be like one of those power forwards um if if he, you know if he can be consistent now i mean i guess that's the that's going to be the the question for all these guys is how consistent can they be but um but yeah that that one's a nice one he's he might be like on the pace of like you know taking that that mantle of being like the actually truly underrated guy if he keeps this up um Matt Boldy gets uh, eighth place. Uh, Cole Caulfield gets ninth, which may, which is impressive too, because he had like I think he only had like three points by the end of December. Um, but then once yeah Mark, yeah, then I'm, once, I'm interested yeah. if if there wasn't that slow sluggish start oh, yeah, 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 where he, he would have finished if he, he if he just played the second half oh, uh, yeah, the way he played the yeah like the whole way through. I I'm not sure if he would like you know it's it's tough to really tell, but um. But I, I would imagine he would be in the top three at, at the very least. Um, Alex Carrier, Alex Andre Carrier, uh, gets tenth. Then you have Lilligren and Mercer getting uh, tying for eleventh. Um, I'm, I'm surprised by that because I thought Mercer was was pretty good. He should have gotten a little bit more votes than he did, but yeah, whatever. Uh, Seth Jarvis gets thirteenth. Um, and then we get the the two guys who just got uh, one fifth place vote in Martin Fairvery, Fairvery, and Alex Nedeljkovic um, gets uh, one fifth place vote, which is interesting too because I remember at the beginning of the season we were all thinking that Nedeljkovic would probably be in there because like he kind of like he should have been a rookie last year, um, but yeah he ended up counting as a rookie this year. Um, but yeah, he, he didn't have a great season, so um, he didn't. But again, in front of that Red Wings yeah. defense, I no, think there's fair. only so much a goaltender could do. Because totally I don't really know if uh, Thomas Grice did any better, or anyone else who played goal yeah. for the Red Wings did it could have done better. But yeah. Um, and then we go to the Vezina uh, Trophy, um, and of course, it goes to <laughs> Igor Shesterkin. Um, yeah, so, uh, yeah, he had a 9.35 save percentage and a GAA of 2.07. I was going to say that, like, that might be the lowest GAA in a long time, but that's not true, because uh, last year, Marc-Andre Fleury had a 1.98 uh, GAA, but uh, Fleury played in less games, so... Um, so that that's that, because, like, when <laughs> you look here, Marc-Andre Fleury went 26 10 and 0 and so that's like 36 games that's how many wins Shesterkin had this year um and he had 13 losses and four overtime losses so um that's how you know uh he's also uh the last he had a 935 save per, uh percentage 
Uh, the last time someone had more than that as a save percentage was Tim Thomas in 2010-2011. Um, so where, when he ended up winning. So um, so yeah, that's uh, that's pretty good. I I would say. Um, yeah, so, and like, you know, he was kind of like a, in a way, it's kind of similar to Austin Matthews. It's like, when you have like a historic goaltending um, season like that, then yeah, you're, you're, you're going to like, you know, it's like a no-brainer. You're, of course, you're going to win um, that. Uh, he ended up getting 29 first place votes and three second place votes. Um, I am a little bit surprised by the other guys that were um, that ended up getting some votes. Um, Markstrom got uh, ended up uh, with uh, 53 points, um, 14 second place votes, um, and 11 third place votes. He had zero first place votes, um, and then UC Saros got uh, zero first place votes as well, nine second place votes, and five third place votes. Um, what's crazy though is you would think that that means that like like oh Shashurkin must have gotten all the first place votes um, that's not true uh, <laughs> the next three guys ended up getting first place votes over over Shashurkin and I, wanna, I wonder what their reasoning is Freddie Anderson <laughs> uh, gets fourth Vasilevsky gets fifth and Sororkin which is truly the craziest one because it's like Sorokin wasn't terrible, don't get me wrong, but like, how do you put him ahead of Shesterkin? <laughs> I don't get that. Simple, Islanders beat writer, that's be. wild. It must be, yeah. Uh, so, so, yeah. I don't know which one, but yeah, it has yeah. to be one of them. It must be, yeah. Um, and if, if that's the case, that, that guy just needs to get his, um, or girl, I guess, that guy just needs to get his votes revoked. It's just like, what, what are we doing here? Um, Stop the count. Yeah, exactly. Um, and then lastly, uh, Demko, Huso, and Jari ended up getting third, uh, one third place votes uh, each, uh, respectively. Um, and I think that has more to do, uh, yeah, and I guess there's no fourth or fifth place uh, stuff, so that's why it's it's like that. But um, yeah, what do, what do you have on this? So uh, first of all, on top of all those numbers, uh, Igor Shajurkin also had a 929 save percentage in the playoffs and is now second in shots faced in the playoffs. Vasilevsky just passed him and has faced two more shots than Shajurkin. Yep. And Shajurkin uh, was knocked down in the conference finals. And it should also be noted that if in the series wins that the Rangers won, both went the distance. They went the full seven games. Uh, so... You, the the biggest eye test for me and, and for Shashirk and whether or not he was deserving to win this award is, okay, how instrumental was he to the team and what did the guy next to him do when he got the net? And for whatever reason, Alex Georgiev's numbers are not nearly as good as Shashirkin's. Don't ask me why, but the Rangers just seem to play better in front of Igor. Um... And maybe it's maybe it's the way he moves the puck. He got three assists in the playoffs, so uh, the fact that he's a mobile puck mover and goaltender um, with the neck to set up uh, his team for offensive plays as well, maybe that has something to do with it as well. And hey, that 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 could be the case. Um, but when you look at the goal differential by the Rangers, you're looking at teams 
you're, you're looking at a team that is finding a way to win close games. They're not shooting the lights out. They're not running and gunning the entire time. They're winning a lot of close one-goal, two-goal games. And you need your goalie to come up big with some big saves. And Shazurkin was able to do that this year. Um, although the one thing I will say about Igor Shazurkin is that he was 14th in shots uh, in shots uh, faced. Uh, you look at Alsen Adelkovich, uh, a lot of people had him in the Hart Trophy, uh, not Hart Trophy votes, uh, he got a couple of votes for the Calder. Yeah. Adelkovich was sixth in shots faced. So again, when you look at uh, the GAA being pretty high, Nedeljkovic still had four yeah. shutouts and a 20-24-9 and record and the six most shots faced in the league, nearly close to uh, Vasilevsky's total, which was uh, fifth most. So you can kind of see it there. He, even Elvis Merce Lincolns, he had the f- uh, fourth most shots faced in the league and posted a 9.07 save percentage. De- Demko had uh, the third most shots faced. Darcy Kemper had the eighth most shots faced. Uh Carol Vamelka on a very bad Coyotes team had the 12th most shots faced. Uh, Sorokin even had slightly more shots faced than Shazurkin did. But Shazurkin still posted six shutouts. He gave up fewer goals, and he was able to keep out the uh, keep the puck out of the net a lot more. So that's, at the end of the day, is what's going to get you some votes. And at the end of the day, you look at... Shazurkin's 935 save percentage, and that's pretty well good. There are only two goalies that faced over 2,000 shots. Connor Halibut and UC Saros. UC Saros still won 38 games, played in 67 games, started all of them, uh, still put up four shutouts, and had a 918 save percentage uh, with that workload, with that bevy of pucks uh, being pelted his way. And while all the while being in a very tough division that had Colorado in it, yep. that had St. Louis in it, like there's some tough competition that they had to go through there, even Dallas too. So while I do like Igor Shashurkin, a part of me wanted UC Saros to win the award, but I can totally understand why the award goes to Igor Shashurkin, 100%, and he deserved it. And to be fair, like, the uh, Metro is also a pretty tough division. Yeah, too. exactly. Exactly. Yeah. They have they have a lot of good competi- like, like you competition would, you, there, too. Yeah. So. You would have a case if, it if like, the Rangers were in the Pacific or something like that. But, yeah, I, I, I yeah, don't, you, don't, you don't really have that true. case when it's... But, like, I, I know what you're saying. I And, like, say, and even saying that, I thought, like, Tristan Jari was going to get more votes as well. But that seems kind of crazy. I don't know. Um, yeah, what's even crazy is, is the amount of shots that Kemper faced. Like, he yeah, only Kemper's played 57 games, and he had the eighth most shots faced. I didn't realize that. Yeah, that's crazy. Um, all right, uh, and then lastly, I know it's it's a long one here, but uh, I guess everyone kind of figured that we would be talking a long one here. Uh, but, yeah, this one actually, as we mentioned before at the start of the show, that this one wasn't even announced um, at the award show, but we didn't really talk about this one. Uh, Daryl Sutter end up, ends up winning the Jack Adams. Uh, the two nominees, though, were Andrew Burnett and Gerard Gallant. I actually don't have the list of who who voted for who um, during this award. But, yeah, I mean, I, I think this one makes sense, too. Because um, it's just like, you know, I think last year when, like, you know, this 
the Jack Adams is such a weird award too because it's really just the team like the most improved a team award um, instead of like the team that um, that does you know that just uh, like the actual best coach of the year because if that were the case then it's like John Cooper would win every year or um, <laughs> or maybe um, Jared Bednar um, but, uh, but yeah, the, uh, so, so yeah, if, if you're, so I'm just accepted that this is, okay, this is the most improved team award. So if you take it that, from that perspective that, yeah, the Calgary Flames were the most improved team because they, you know, they were very bad last year. Um, and Daryl Sutter was able to not only like, you know, get them to play defensively, but get them to play offensively and something that we, you know, that we haven't even seen from like Lindholm Goudreau um, and um, and Kachuk in a long, long, long time. Um, we all knew that they were capable of doing this, um, especially for Goudreau and Kachuk, but, um, but yeah, I think just the fact that he was able to get out of them what, um, what we expected of them or get them out of them to what, um, you know, to being one of the more dominant teams in the league uh, was very impressive and also what like credit goes to as well to uh, Jacob Markstrom and what he was able to do to fix up his game as well because Markstrom was was terrible last year um, albeit because he was in the like he was facing off against McDavid and Matthews every night but um, but yeah I, I think there there is something to the fact that like okay he's he's a good coach he didn't win two Stanley Cups for for no reason um, so um, so yeah, he, he is a good coach. It does deserve it. Um, having said that, I, you know, I, I think I might've given it to Gerard Gallant, um, because I think the Rangers were in worse shape than the Flames were last year. And if we're judging it based off of that, then like, you know, just having the Rangers, like, you know, be one of the better teams in the league the, and like the fact that Chesterkin, yeah, he was okay last year. But, like, he was phenomenal this year. And just the fact that he was able to, like, get all these players to fall in line when um, David Quinn wasn't able to do that. Um, and these are all, like, rookies and, and things like that. Getting Chris Kreider to get going um, was just was just super impressive that I feel like I might have given it to Gallant. Um, and then Andrew Burnett, yeah, he deserves some credit just for the fact that, like, you know, he was taking over a team based off of what happened with uh, Quinville. But, um, and then, you know, and then they turn into like the president's trophy and win that award. But, um, but yeah, I, I can, you know, he was able to like add the depth and, and all that stuff. But I, I think where the difference is, is that compared to the Calgary and New York, Florida made the playoffs last year. So it's like, you can't really like improve from that. Uh, cause they, they were already pretty good the previous season. Um, but yeah, he does. I'm I'm glad that he at least deserves some credit. And we're about to talk about the fact that he doesn't have a job anymore. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, well, I, I I can see why, um, uh, those were the three finalists. Yeah, didn't didn't even didn't even win the Jack Adams award. I know, I know. That would <laughs> actually be pretty funny if like I wonder if he ended up winning the Jack Adams. Do you think he still would have a job? <laughs> Mm, nah, I don't necessarily think so. I think there was one year where Ted Nolan was named uh, Coach of the Year uh, with Buffalo, yeah. and um, that's right. I don't think he was their coach uh, even after Didn't that. I, I think 
Didn't that it was either where like Claude Julian, like he got he got fired by the Devils, but then he ends up getting nominated, like yeah, or something. <laughs> he he got fired by the Devils. I think a week before the playoffs yeah. started. That was yeah, but like but like the I Devils were like in first place that year or something. So yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah but yeah. that's what happens when you have a bad losing streak. It's a bad time, yeah. and Lou Lamarill is the GM. Yeah, so. exactly. You're right. Um, anyways, uh, what do you have on this Jack Adams award? Yeah, I, I think at the end of the day, if you look at the improved teams, uh, Calgary is definitely up there. Again, I go back to Nikita Zadorov and Erica Branson and Chris Tanev all having good years. And I think Daryl Sutter at the end of the day got the most out of every single player. Oliver Shillington had a good year. Rasmus Anderson had a great year yeah. uh, on the back end. Um, no what can you nothing. say about the top six there and the season that Mangiapane had in the first half and um, the reliable scoring that you had from guys like Elias Lindholm and Johnny Goudreau and Matthew Goodchuck. Um, everyone was pulling their weight in Calgary and um, definitely um, guys like Jacob Merstrom were the benefactor of that. Like everyone across the board. Um Outside of Sean Monaghan, I think that was the only really troubling yeah. campaign there. But everyone else had a great year. So, yeah, yeah, I, I don't think you can go wrong there, honestly. And um, in uh, Monaghan's defense, he was, like, he did end up getting injured. So maybe that, like, it's more of, like, an injury thing than, like, he actually isn't, like, developed properly. I mean, it could be a mixture of both, but, um, but maybe that's a part of it. Um uh yeah i mean now that i'm looking here at the actual like teams here uh the kings i the i I forget who the king's coach is but uh but i guess that that guy had um had some right to to maybe get some votes but yeah yeah um what is funny though is that uh so last year was rod uh, rod brendamore won then the year before that was bruce cassidy the year before that was yep. Barry Trotz. The year before that was Gerard Gallant. Then you have John Tortorella, <laughs> Barry Trotz again. It's just like, <laughs> it's it's crazy that, like these are all like other than Brindamore, like all the other guys I just mentioned, no longer have a job with the team that they won that that for. Um, so it's like Brindamore, you're next, I guess. Um, <laughs> That's the it's like the the Jack Adams curse. I don't know. Um, yeah, and and in a case in case with Carolina, I think it could be a case where like maybe they the, some of the players just price themselves out of the market and they yeah. make their money elsewhere. But yeah, yeah, that could also lead to his downfall. A right, bit. right, right. Um, okay. Uh, speaking of coaches, uh, we have a few to get to before we <laughs> we actually talk about the series. Um, Pete DeBoer goes to, uh, uh, he was on Vegas, he goes to Dallas. Um, I thought that, that one, this one's an interesting one because it's like, you know, at the time we're, we're about to talk about Trotz, but, um, you know, Trotz was still there, available. We thought maybe that was a thing, but, um, but yeah, it, it's just, it's weird because it's like they, they go with a retread um, and, um, you know, he, you know, he was, like, it, like yeah, for Vegas, like, the reason why Vegas didn't make the playoffs was 
because of the injuries. So I totally get that. But then at the same time, you hear like how he was having arguments with Robin Leonard, and um, it's it just seemed like you know he was building this like toxic environment, um, and um, so he did have to go. So it is curious that like he was able to get a job um, pretty fast when it's like you know maybe maybe you just let him go a little bit, but. Um, or, you know, you know, take a, take a little bit of a break to bore, but, um, but yeah, I guess, I guess, yeah, he's going to Dallas and it'll be interesting to see how he does, especially towards like guys like Sagan and Ben. Um, and if he can continue to get, uh, to develop Robertson and, uh, hence, um, those will be the keys and we'll see if that works or not. Yeah. I think, uh, at the end of the day, if you're the Dallas stars, obviously, there's a there's a right bag of prospects up and coming, which is good. If you develop those properly, you're going to have a good formula. You're going to have a good team. But your current core still leans around the likes of Jimmy Ben, Tyler Sagan, and uh, for the time being, Joe Pavelski. And I think they're still trying to capitalize on that core before it becomes abundantly clear that the best hockey of those guys is done. Not numbered, it's D-O-N-E, capitals, done. And the one thing that Pierre DeBoer is known for is getting to the conference finals, which, you know, is not any by any means winning the Stanley Cup, but hey, you have a one-in-four shot if you go to the conference yep. finals of winning the whole darn thing. And I guess for Dallas, that's it's better than that than a first round exit. So they're they're willing to take their chances with the boar and at least put themselves in the best possible position. And similar to John Tortorella and the slew of coaches we were talking about last week, DeBoer, with his new teams, has been able to get success out of the gate. You look at New Jersey. Went to the Stanley Cup Finals with him in 2012. A lot of people forgot he was a coach for the Devils, but yeah, he was a coach for the Devils. Uh, again, San Jose Sharks went to the Conference Finals a couple times with them. Went to the Stanley Cup Finals with them in uh, 2016. And he's gone to the Conference Finals a couple of times with the Vegas Golden Knights as well. So you're looking at a guy that knows how to go on those deep playoff runs knows how to get some instant chemistry and instant success with his new teams. So if you're looking at this from the first couple of years, it could work out well for Dallas. It honestly could. Longevity-wise, uh, I think they're going to find out it's probably not the best hire. But uh, for the best hire at the time, uh, we'll see how it goes. It, it, it's a coin flip though honestly the the real the real test is going to be can he get something out of ben and sagan that no one has been able to get out of them over the past couple of years and translate that and make that into the team's success moving forward um that's that's something that i think only a few coaches in this league are going to be able to muster and uh if he's if he's one of them then all the power to him yeah yeah um, yeah, I mean, yeah, as I mentioned, I think that's the, the, the thing. We'll, we'll have to see if he can get something out of Ben and Sagan. And I, I think Sagan's contract is... Oh, no, I think it's Ben's contract is up 
No, wait, no, I think they still have a few years, never mind. Um, but, um, but yeah, I, I, I think you're right. But, like, yeah, even if they, if he doesn't get them going, it's like, okay, like, can you get, you know, can you maintain Hintz and Robertson on their, their meteoric rides um, to the top? So yeah. That, that's, I, I think that's actually the true key. Um, in a bit of a surprising news um, for our next coach, uh, as we mentioned, Andrew Burnett um, is, uh, like, he was an interim head coach this entire season, um, and he ends up um, not getting the actual job, um, which is crazy because, like, he, you know, he, he pushed the team to getting um, a, uh, you know, to the President's Trophy, um, you know, to, to getting the most points in the, in the league and all that stuff. But, yeah, he, he's let go. Um, I, I guess it was ultimately if, because uh, they ended up getting swept by the, the Lightning anyways. Um, so, but uh, in walks Paul Maurice. That's right, the guy who stepped down from Winnipeg um, like in December or so uh, because he wanted to, uh, he just had it with hockey. And, um, and yeah, it only took him half a year to get back into it um, and, and get this job. Um, and yeah, and by, by the way, I think I saw this. I think he has like, Paul. Do you know that Paul Maurice has, like, I think only eight winning seasons, um, which is crazy. Um, so only eight winning seasons. I'm I'm gonna hey, look this up. That's interesting because I'm gonna look this he, up. Yeah, he, uh, he he was when when he was a young coach. Like he was, I think he was still around in the final days of the Hartford Whalers before they yeah. moved to Carolina. And like he was pretty young in 02 when those hurricanes yeah. went to the final lost to Detroit. But Okay, I'm gonna look this up because yeah, he's I'm been probably the league wrong. A while. I'm probably wrong, but I'm gonna look this up because I thought I heard that, saw this somewhere, but okay, let me let me just double check while you start talking. Um yeah, what it, do you it think would make it would make sense if you consider that uh, Carolina didn't really have too many outstanding teams when he was there in terms of team results. Yeah. He was also with the Leafs when they, uh, when they uh, in the early stages yeah. of their playoff droughts in the mid two thousands. I think he was their coach in 06, 07, That I know for sure. I think maybe oh seven oh eight as well. Yeah, um, on, and he didn't really last uh, that long there. So yeah, um, there are definitely some trying times there and then when he was in Winnipeg they weren't really good off the start but then progressively they started getting better and yeah, uh, he was a big part of that okay um, so you can you can get going and then I'll I'll get back to you on yes this. so so to to kind of talk about what I think of this hire I think it's an interesting hire for Paul Maurice because it's it's definitely a different twist. Like you go from like Hartford and Carolina and and the Winnipegs of the world to oh Florida. Okay, I feel like that's a bit out of left field a choice uh, for Paul Maurice there. But when you look at the team there, no doubt the Florida Panthers have a good team. They have a lot of good depth pieces for Maurice to build into a winning contender, and they're a, still for the most part a fairly young team that I think just needs that extra bit of experience to get them over the hump. And I think that experience is what they lacked in the playoffs. They didn't have they didn't have the stamina to get through and overcome a losing streak. It, it, it like 
almost like everything was like fed to them on a silver platter. And when they started losing consecutive games in a row, they're just like, okay, what the heck do we do now? And, and against Tampa Bay, that's obviously tough to navigate around. Um, so I think, I think for Paul Maurice, it's a guy that is known for getting his teams ready for battle. Uh, teams of all ages ready for battle. I think that's something that this team needed when it mattered in the playoffs, and they didn't really get it. And I, that's why I think Andrew Burnett, through no fault of his own, failed. Because, like, prior to this, he didn't really have any playoff coaching experience. So you only go with what you really know. And if what you know doesn't really um, include NHL playoff experiences or triumphs or failures, you know, that's that there's only so much you can do about that. Yeah. You can only learn from your experiences. And Maurice has definitely been through a lot of those. So I think uh, in due time, I think Maurice is going to be able to get the best out of his team. Will they have the as good a season as they have this year? Probably not. But I definitely think Maurice is capable of getting the most out of this group when it matters. Yeah. And I think uh, I think at the end of the day, that's what they need. Okay, so I figured it out. You're right that he did end up having more winning uh, a more winning record than a losing record. But like the highest winning record he's had was like 695 percentage. Like some of them are like. Um, like he went 34, 30, and 18 or something like that in Carolina. Yeah. Uh, and also he was out of the playoffs. I think this is a true or tell. He, uh, so when you count his the, four, uh, the five teams that he's coached, so that's Hartford, Carolina. I, I guess Hartford and Carolina are the same team. So I'll count those as the same team. So um, of the four teams yeah. that he's coached, that's uh, the Hartford-Carolina team – Toronto, then Carolina for the second stint in Winnipeg. Um, he's been out of the playoffs 12 times and in the playoffs nine times. Um, and that's, yeah, yeah which is sense. which is kind of... And, and Carolina had a lot of yeah. playoffless years, so that right. makes sense. And as you were mentioning, it's like the Hartford Whalers were very bad towards the end of that, so that's not necessarily his fault either, but... Um, and, and yeah, as you're mentioning, like Carolina um, wasn't very good at the start. But yeah, he was responsible for that. What I did find interesting as I was looking here, uh, he coached um, the uh, he coached in KHL um, in the 2012-2013 season. So that was the shortened season mm. year um, where he went uh, the Magnitorgors Metallurg in the KHL, and he went 27-13. Um, and uh, and twelve, and he lost in the first round in the KHL. But what's interesting is is then like I'm noticing like a shift where all of a sudden after the KHL coaching job he gets the Winnipeg job, and then yeah Winnipeg isn't great, um, although he's just coming in, and then when um, and then the following year he starts to actually uh, coach well or like better than he had been before so. Um, so yeah, maybe it was just the KHL experience that he had. Um, but yeah, it's, I, I think what's, what's more strange is the fact that like when he left Winnipeg, it was kind of a shock because we thought like, oh, okay. Like, you know, we thought that Winnipeg would, and, and Maurice got along and it, it, it seemed like it was just personal reasons why Maurice left and he just had it with hockey or whatever. 
and um, and yeah, and then like half a season later, he uh, he's he's back in the NHL and and signs with Florida. So yeah, I don't I don't really like that part seems a little bit odd to me, but um, but yeah, I totally agree with what you're saying. It's like yeah, I could see it working. He wasn't a terrible coach in Winnipeg, um, and he finally got things to work, but. But yeah, it's definitely something where I don't know if it's, um, I'm not sh- necessarily sure if it's like the right fit um, just now. Um, yeah. What well, um, in terms of brunette, I guess he's now on the market. Um, so so that'll be interesting. Um, I you know I I would happily take him as a as a coach um, for the Bruins, but I don't think the Bruins are going that route. By the way, I don't know if you heard this. Um, we're we're getting a little bit Bruins corner here, but uh, I, it looks like the Bruins might be hiring uh, David Quinn pretty soon. So um, he's the, he's the heavy favorite right now. Um, and then um, lastly, before we talk about the the Stanley Cup, uh, speaking of Winnipeg, because there were talks that for the last couple of months that. Uh, that Trotz was going to Winnipeg. Um, that's where he's from. Um, and uh, he mentioned this week that he is uh, taking a leave from coaching um, and to spend more time with his family, kind of like what Daryl Sutter did and and what I, I presume what Paul Maurice did. Uh, but yeah, Trotz just uh, yeah decided to take a break and he's not coaching this year at the very least. Um, so yeah, I mean, I hope everything is okay with his family, um, or, you know, even, even if there isn't anything, uh, there's no shame in, in doing what he's doing. He doesn't have anything to prove really. Um, so, um, so that, that, that's cool to see, but, um, but yeah, it is kind of crazy that like we went from, like, it was a little odd that like, A, that like, you know, Cassidy gets hired before him, then DeBoer, then Maurice, then all these guys get hired. Um, and then you're thinking like, wait a second, Trotz is still hasn't picked and he was like fired like before all these guys were. Um, so, so I guess it, it, it kind of made sense. And like, just the fact that like, we knew that he was talking with Winnipeg and just, but like to the point where it just like took forever. So it's like, okay, so, so now it, it all makes sense that he's just been, um, he's now just thinking like, you know what, I'm just going to take it easy for the next couple of time, uh, years and, and maybe he comes back, but if not, then yeah, I guess happy retirement. Yeah. And you know what? It, it could just be a burnout thing where yeah. it's just like, man, I don't feel like coaching. I right. just want to take a break and be with my family. Yeah. And, and like Paul Maurice said on his way out of Winnipeg, like he, sometimes you find out, uh, you're one out of ways to motivate and to coach, you know, a group of, of men, you know, like these guys are like human beings that want to make a living. And at the same time to just want to go out there and have fun. You want to make it fun to come to the rink every single day. And sometimes after a while, if it's just not fun, if your heart's not in the game, then then maybe a mental reset is really what's needed before you venture out and find your next job. Hockey is always going to be there for Barry Trotz. He can he can end his break whenever he wants, and I'm sure there's going to be a team welcoming him with open arms, ready to welcome him with open arms when he comes back. Um, and, you know, for Winnipeg and for 
Detroit, me, you know, maybe they go for a short-term option if they think that they have a realistic shot in a couple of years of getting Barry Trotz again. Or, like, that short option maybe could be Andrew Burnett. Who knows? So, uh, yeah, uh, it, it, it is... I, I guess, you know, in, in the world that we live in, in how demanding things have been, especially in the past couple of years, it shouldn't be too surprising when a coach decides to do this. Yeah, yeah, I guess so. It's it's also like, yeah, I was I was emailing you when when it hap- when this happened. Um, it's it's one of those things where you um, where you know that like you know it must be so rough being a coach in the NHL because you're you're away from your family for half the year. You're, mm-hmm. you're it's it's not even like a like a time when yeah you you know during this time period you're you're with your kids but um but like you know just i i can imagine that's that that must be a rough lifestyle like you know most of these players they're in their early 20s late 20s or early 30s and yeah they have families as well but like you know they that that's the risk you take as as a as a player as a professional thing because that's just what that's the sacrifice you have to make where you're going to be gone for most of the uh, year. Um, whereas for coaches, pretty much all of them have kids and, and families, and that just has to, you know, and they're they're older than 30 years old. So, um, so they that that that's that can definitely take a toll on you. I can totally see why why he would do that. And also, it's like he's already won a cup. He already has his dream and things like that. So it's like you know he can. If if he if he just retires and we never see him again, like yeah, of course that's gonna be sad because he's a great coach. But I totally get where he's coming from, and um, mm-hmm. yeah, we'll see. Um, and yeah, the same same is said for Daryl Sutter as well. It's like Daryl Sutter, um, you know, was out of the league, and and then like eventually you're like, okay, what happened to Daryl Sutter? It's like, oh, okay, he just hasn't been. Um, he hasn't been around and then yeah he comes back and and that's great but uh but yeah he could have easily just been like you know what i'm i'm fine with with where i'm at i i've i've done enough um but yeah so so you have to respect that as well um yeah all right now we actually talk about some hockey uh, that's actually going on. I don't know if you knew this. Of course, of course, I've been a janitor. Uh, as soon as I start... I made it this far without a pop-up ad. <laughs> okay, I, yeah, of course that happens. Um, damn it. Now I closed the tab. Yes. Yeah, Stanley Cup Finals, right? That, yeah, that's Stanley Cup that's Finals. Um, damn it. Um, all right, now I have to, like, reopen the page and hope that there's not another <laughs> pop-up. Um... <laughs> Uh, so yeah, Stanley Cup Finals. We uh, we mentioned last week, um, or we just got off to uh, Game Two when the Avalanche won seven to nothing, um, and we were wondering if Tampa Bay was going to respond, um, and they did. Uh, Tampa Bay ended up winning that uh, uh, six to two. In fact. Um, so, so yeah, they, they definitely, not only did they come back or, you know, show some life, but they, um, they came back with force. Um, and then, um, and you know, it wasn't like too exciting. It was just like, you know, it's kind of like, it's interesting. Cause like in game one, uh, that was a, a pretty close game. Game two was a blowout by the avalanche. Game three was a blowout by the lightning. Um, and game four, 
uh, was actually when Nazim Kadri comes back, um, and then uh, uh, returns, and he uh, he ends up getting the game winner OT. Um, so it's just like it's a pretty cool story, um, and um, and that was fun. Um, there was also a complaint by John Cooper right after who was saying something along the lines of like he uh, he thought that there was too many men on the ice uh, during the time and he thought that Colorado got away with something um, and what's funny about this is one it's like why didn't you say something when it happened secondly um, McKinnon uh, was the guy who was talking about there were six players on the ice. McKinnon was just about to leave the ice as soon as, or at least, yeah, go to go to the bench as soon as Kadri uh, scored. So and like he had no effect. Like if if McKinnon wasn't like was on the bench, it would have no effect. Um, and since he was on the ice, it had no effect either. And thirdly, more hilariously. The Lightning had, if, if we're judging this by like players going off of the ice and onto the ice, the Lightning had seven players <laughs> on the ice. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. so yeah. So, so offsetting minors for uh, yeah. too many men then. Yeah, exactly. So it was, it was just, uh, it was strange that he, um, he mentioned this, um, but um, yeah, there was just uh, too many men, but I, I think he was just complaining because he, he wanted to complain, and this might be the first time in this uh, the last three years that uh, things haven't gone Tampa's way with calls and things like that. So, um, so maybe that had part of, partly to do with it. Um, and then, uh, yeah, and then Game Five happened, um, and that ended with the Lightning being uh, going uh, winning three to two. This is actually a lot closer. Um, it didn't end up going to overtime like the other close games had in the series, but um, Jan Ruta gets the the first goal, then Natushkin gets a goal in the second period, um, and then uh, Kucherov scores uh, with uh, like three minutes later. And then in the third period, you have Kel McCarr to make it 2-2, um, and then Palat scores towards the end of the third period. To make it three two and and that's Lightning that's looking all to off of course there's a clock like that. Um, <laughs> so um, so yeah that that's um, that's how it goes. Um, there's uh, as we're recording this just before game six is about to happen, um, and yeah, Colorado's up three two. Um, I, I was mentioning to you that whoever scores, whoever wins OT. In game four is going to win the series um and and then like like a minute later Kadri scores so I think um and like yeah I, I think as much as um as good as Tampa is and they are a fighting team I I don't see how they can beat Colorado three straight times in a row I, I guess it is possible I just I just don't see it um so so I mean, I, I guess it's like, you know, they should, it, it will, it's going to be nervous now because it's like, okay, now they have to actually get to business and, and um, start, start like, you know, actually paying attention and instead of like getting cocky and getting too ahead of your, of themselves. But, um, but yeah, I, I think that Colorado 
will win this series. I'm not sure if it's going to be tonight, but it might it might be on. It's it's either tonight or Game Seven, whenever that is. I'm going to stick to my guns. I'm still going to say Tampa's going to find a way to win this. Uh, but you know what? I'm going to say if Colorado does prevail, I I think they're going to give Tampa a taste of their own medicine, and Tampa's going to get shut out in the elimination game. Oh, that'd when be they funny. Lose. Yeah, that would be that'd be funny. <laughs> Just. Yeah, be a taste of their own medicine. Yeah. Um, one thing I will say, and Nazem Kadri has proved this. Nazem Kadri is going to get paid, yep. and he shouldn't be looking for the hometown discount because he deserves to get paid. Yep. And that goal that he scored in Game Four overtime basically just eliminated all doubt. This is a guy that can emerge in big moments and come up with that big play. We've waited all along for it to happen in the playoffs, and it's never happened. Game four was a turning point. We look at Nassim Kadri a bit different now. Yeah. So I um, I think uh, Colorado, once the offseason begins, is going to have to survey uh, their options uh, down the middle. Uh, Pierre-Luc Dubois might be a, a solution there. Maybe JT Miller's a solution there, uh, as I mentioned before. But... I think Nazem Kadri's officially out, priced himself out of Colorado. He's going to get a lot of interesting offers from other clubs to go play for him, and he's going to get a lot of money on that deal. So, uh, yeah, I, I hope Nazem Kadri enjoys his days in Colorado because I think they're slowly coming to an end regardless of how they do. Yeah, I mean, he, he was getting paid regardless, um, <laughs> like even if he didn't score that game, that, that game four winner. Um, but yeah, I, I do agree with you that I think that he's going to go to another team. Um, but like, I, I, I don't think like that <laughs> that goal was the difference maker. Of course, it, it has an effect because it's now like you're seen as this like clutch guy. But um, but yeah, I, I think he was getting paid uh, regardless because he had a he had a pretty good year this year. I don't know if you realize that, but uh, um, so oh, he had a season for the ages. Yeah, yeah exactly. So. Um, uh, I, I say that jokingly, of course. Um, yeah, and um, and I've, I've actually taken a complete 180 on him. And, of course, it took Jordan Bennington hating him that made me love, love Nassim Kadri. And um, I know it wouldn't make cap sense, and especially with the Bruins in there, they're probably going to be rebuilding. But I I would love if Kadri... If, if we're... If, you know, it looks like Bergeron's gonna stay a, another year at least. I would love it if Kadri, um, if Kadri uh, signs with the, the the Bruins. That would be awesome. Yeah, let's not bury the lead of yeah. Bergeron to the Bruins. Oh, yeah. That's for another year at least. It yeah. looks like that's happening. Yeah, according to Joe McDonald, he uh, said that Bergeron is coming back, but it's it's not confirmed just yet. So we shouldn't like you okay. know. But it, it until is, you see it in writing, you're not convinced. Yeah. Oh well, n- not to say that I, I'm sure he has his sources, but um, but yeah, it, it's not confirmed just yet. So let, let's uh, okay. we can. I mean, we'll we'll talk about it when when it happens. Um, we'll see. Um, but yeah, if 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 that is the case, then it's like all right, let let's get let's get Nazem Kadri. What would be funny though is the fact that like he uh, Kadri did concuss Jake DeBrusque. Um, twice, <laughs> um, in two years. So, um, so yeah, I don't know. Like, it would be funny to not funny, but like it would just be interesting just to see them on the same, uh, on the same team. But 
I, I, I feel like this is just a, um, um, a very, uh, what, what's that term? Uh, a white whale or just, uh, a, like a, a dream that's, that's never going to happen basically. But, um, yeah, yeah, we'll see. Um, um, yeah, I don't know. Uh, uh, do you have a, any last minute changes to your, uh, cons? My prediction, I said, Mikhail McCarr win or lose, uh, is there anything happened to change your prediction, or are you still sticking with yours? Um, um, I, I mean, what would be interesting is if, yeah, I think I also mentioned Kamlikar. Um, Natushkin has actually been pretty good lately, um, so he mm. might end up getting some votes. Um, okay. but yeah, I probably would still stick with Makar. What's interesting, though, is McDavid still leads the playoffs in points um, with 33. Yep. So, so that would be kind of fun if, if like, um, a player who has who didn't even make the Stanley Cup Finals ends up winning. But I don't that think... That would be a backwards way to end it, wouldn't it? I don't think that's going to end up happening because Kel McCarr is in third right now. So, um, yeah. But, um, exactly. but, yeah, I'll, I'd probably give it to McCarr um, yeah. if I... If I uh, do you want me to give you an update on the Memorial Cup? Because I don't think um, I yeah. teed it up last week, but I don't think I gave an update. You on did that. not. That's fine. Yeah, you can, you can okay. do that. Okay. So uh, let's get this straight. Uh, I picked the Edmonton Oil Kings to win. Uh, they're the first team out. Oh, so damn it. I also once again, my prediction gone to hell in the handbasket very quick. I, uh, uh, I also Fox, predicted uh, the Oil edged Kings them to, to reach the semifinals. So, I yeah. also I also predicted them to win too. Yeah. yeah. So the the streak of Memorial Cup teams not being from the WHL that continues another year. Oh, wow. Still, the Oil Kings of 2014. That's the last WHL wow. team to win. Those same Oil Kings are done. Uh, Hamilton, the team I thought was going to beat them in the finals, ended up beating them to get to the semifinals. They will now face the Shawinigan Cataracts in the semifinals. That's after uh, four goals from William Dufour helped rally the host Sea Dogs straight to the Memorial Cup finals. Wow. So it'll be the hosts uh, guaranteed uh, a spot in the final. And then it's uh, Shawinigan Hamilton uh, for the right to play the sea dogs in the final that's so weird i so like the host city host team always gets uh like a shot at the at the, in the championship game regardless of how uh, they don't always get a shot at the championship game but they're in the tournament right 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 oh i see what you mean they just okay. happen to go to the final straight I see, away i see i thought i thought what i guess i misheard what you were saying um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so the Sea Dogs uh, apparently were waiting a long time for this, and they're making their moments count. So, of course, yeah. Um, yeah, the rest is definitely not rust at the moment. Uh, they're firing on all cylinders. It looks like so. Yeah, yeah. That's where um, we're at. Interesting. All right, um, that about does it here for us on on Lace Them Up. You can follow us on Twitter at Lace Up Podcast. Our Facebook is Lace Them Up. Um, you can uh, subscribe to us and follow us wherever else you get your podcasts on uh, iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, wherever else. Um, yeah, that's about it. I'm Brett Dubuff. I'm Steve Ellsworth. We'll talk again in episode 327 of the Lace Muff Podcast.